Is Ted Cruz broke? Maybe he's broke. <laughs> Maybe he needs some relief. <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's paying $300 a night at the Ritz-Carlton so for an impromptu trip. So Th- That's really not even that much if you ball it. <laughs> right? For Ted Cruz, right? Yeah, like he he might be struggling out here. No, I'm saying he's he's <laughs> getting guy. fracking money, dude. Like you've got to be got to be up in it a little bit. It's not enough to get a private jet though. He can he can take with those Uber planes. Something like Uber planes in Texas. <laughs> no, for for a private, you can catch an Uber plane. No, okay, Brett Kavanaugh before he uh, did his whole uh, inaugural, whatever you call it, um, he had like two hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt or something crazy like that. Oh, shit. Some some like crazy amount of number amount uh, amount in credit card debt. He was struggling out here. Ted Cruz might be on that same way. Are are, are you implying that now representatives and members of a uh, Congress and like that are just the new like athletes that are gone broke after <laughs> <laughs> after a few years? Are just the new broke people? We should is that the new ESPN thirty for thirty is coming out? Ted Cruz might be a trick. <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh, super dead. <laughs> oh Somebody God. had to get him to uh, uh, cut his uh, mullet. Hello, humans. Welcome to the United Club Lounge at the George Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston, Texas. This is episode 20 of your Power Report, God willing, and I am joined with uh, one of the cooler panels that we've done on Power Report here. Uh, Let's just start from the beginning with our new guest. Uh, She is the host of the Global Thread podcast and uh, political correspondent and a Texas resident. This is Yasmin Khan. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. This should be fun, hopefully first as many times. Um, also here, we have Sean from Audio Face Podcast. Hello. Nice to see you there with your well-lit background. I, I really appreciate that actually existing for yeah, we're, we're, we're moving up in the world now. Absolutely. Be able to see me now. We've got Caesar on. Hey, how's Hi, it? good to see you. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Always good hey. to meet you. I always had to have you here. And bam. How are you? Are we supposed to have the background blurred? Because everybody else did that. <laughs> no, that's just an aesthetic preference. I want to join the movement. This is great. So today on the episode, we are going to talk about the major winter storm that hit through a lot of the United States more broadly anyways, but uh, especially uh, hit Texas for a number of different reasons. Um, a little bit of insight is, help, um, is why Yasmin being on the show will help a lot. Um, but we're also going to go into kind of the politics of that, of how ERCOT was warned about this a little bit, and the politicians there did nothing, and um, some other things about that. Plus, uh, we're officially in the post-accountability era of politics now. Um, it appears that Donald Trump got off completely scot-free for the whole, like, uh, inciting an insurrection to the Capitol thing. So that should set a really good precedent for the future. Love all of that. And we're going to talk about how vaccines are being distributed in the world and how some places are not getting them and how that's uh, an interesting, semi-predictable thing. And also, a little bit later, we'll be saying goodbye to a dearly departed friend of the show, honestly. Um, I'm really excited to talk about that. But first, yeah, we should get into the major winter storm that hit over... um, It's kind of still ongoing, I guess, because welcome to climate change. But yeah, a major winter storm has hit Texas. So I was just speaking in the month of February. Uh, Yeah, a lot of the southern United States. But um, Texas is interesting of note because immediately as the storm was starting to kick in, 
the Texas power grid was really overwhelmed. And uh, you started having blackouts that had to be forced. Uh, heating was disrupted. Natural gas lines was were disrupted. And this is when areas of Texas, which weren't used to seeing sub-zero temperatures Fahrenheit, uh, were now having to deal with this. And it was kind of just out of control in that point. And one of the more troubling aspects of what was going I mean, there are many troubling aspects of what was going on. But there was an immediate rush from a lot of the politicians, you know, the people who were in charge of Texas who were supposed to like make sure things are going good and working properly, uh, po pointing the blame game and saying it's everyone's fault but them. It's only recently have they started to have to take responsibility because of shaming from not only Democrats but also even Republicans in the state. But kind of just uh, starting with that, uh, I don't even know if y'all saw the video of Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, who was speaking on Hannity's show, I believe. What good is it? Sean, this shows how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States of America. Texas is blessed with multiple sources of energy, such as uh, natural gas and oil uh, and nuclear, as, as well as uh, solar and wind. Uh, but you saw from what Trace said, uh, and that is our wind and our solar got shut down, and, and they were uh, collectively more than 10 percent of our power grid. And that thrust Texas into a situation where it was lacking power in a statewide basis uh, that was power that was spread out by that ERCOT organization, organization that you were talking about. As a result, uh, it just shows uh, that fossil fuel is necessary uh, for the state of Texas as well as other states to make sure that we were, uh, will be able to heat our homes in the wintertime and cool our homes in the summertime. And he made this comment about, it was a really long meandering comment basically saying that if it wasn't for Texas's over-reliance on renewable energies, that uh, maybe the grid would have been stronger and we would have been able, and Texas would have been able to withstand this sort of storm, even though in the same sentence, in the same video, he's also saying that renewable energies only make up 10% of the power grid. So um, I don't know, anyone who wants to jump into that, that was just one of the more ridiculous things that I can't believe he actually expected to get away with saying on air, as though people wouldn't actually call him out on it. But like, yeah, I want to know what your thoughts are. He said it before. No so way. I, I do want to clarify that Texas does get snow, right? Even I live in Houston and it's very humid. It's way on the southern side of, this, of the state. We get snow. I've lived here for 20 years and it's snowed maybe a handful of times. It's not like the worst thing in the world, you know, like we shouldn't ha have, you know, be plunged into this crisis every time it snows. This time was pretty bad, though. It was it, we did get a lot of sub-zero temperatures across the state. But nothing that happened should have happened. And then once it did happen, then you saw the governor went on TV on Fox News and he started blaming the windmills and he said the winds, the windmills froze over. And it's that's the reason why. That so doesn't make sense on so many levels. It's it's so annoying that he even did that. First of all, he didn't say anything for a while, right? Everybody else, it took him a few days of, you know, people already going through blackouts and their pipes bursting and things like that before he even went on Hannity. And then once he did, he started talking about the windmills. I mean, everywhere else in the world, places way, way, way colder than Texas use windmills for energy and they don't have this problem. He's deflecting. He's looking for a scapegoat. That's what he did. He was warned about this like at least a decade ago. I think actually it was 2011 yeah. that he was warned about this. They said this is going to happen. 
and they did not do anything to prevent it from happening. They didn't um, insulate the pipelines, they didn't winterize the natural gas, they didn't winterize the windmills. It's his fault that all this happened and he's not taking responsibility for it. So that's that's what it is. And people have died, you know, I think um, like 47 last I checked, 47 Texans have died just from like freezing to death pretty much, which is like such a strange way to die in Texas, you know, for anyone. Which part of Texas is getting it the worst? Like which cities? I I don't really know as far as, I mean, I would assume, you know, other places are colder than others, but from what I've seen as far as experiences, it's all been pretty, pretty across the board. Everyone's having very similar experiences. Um, I have friends in Dallas, Fort Worth, Austin, San Antonio, and everybody is reporting similar things. You know, people have lost power for, you know, days at a time, not just hours, but days. Um, one of my best friends here in Houston, she lives in a sky rise, not far from downtown. And she lost power for like 40 hours or something like that. And you can't go anywhere. So even if you have somebody who does have power, you can't necessarily get there because the roads are frozen over. We don't have snow plows in Texas. We don't have, you know, salt on the roads and things like that because we don't need them most of the time. So usually whenever it gets this cold, we just sit home and, you know, wait it out. And it's not a big deal. This time it was a big deal because people can't get places. So um, people's pipes were bursting again, same all over the state that I've been seeing, including in Houston. If it's happening in Houston, it's probably worse in other places. It's definitely worse in other places, actually. So Um, very sad. On that statement, I thought it was really funny that he wanted to blame the wind turbines. I'm like, that's like that. You're only you're like your number one attack is just 25 percent of the electric source of an entire state of Texas. Ten percent, less than 10 percent. I thought it was twenty-four. Uh, return at least, what, at least yeah, what, from what he said number. in the quote, like, like it was just yeah, a low number. Yeah, mm-hmm. like fifty-one uh, percent is natural gas in that state. Like, and they have they have they have nuclear. They still have solar. They have other sources of energy. If you're gonna if you have a grid system that if twenty percent goes down, the entire state goes into a mass uh, just mass energy issues and four thousand dollar bill. That says more about like the infrastructure that you set up. It's not really it's not really yeah. telling. It's not to blame renewable sources, but you need to take a step back and go. Oh, maybe like what we're doing here isn't operating to like the best standards. Cause that it and, and it was honestly just it was like so cheap and corny to me. I'm like, you're still ha- being salty about what happened <laughs> previously yeah. and what's going on with like Congress and what what transpired the last couple months. That this is like this is really a good time for you to take this attack to 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 take the blame away from you stepping up and your responsibility. At the same time, you know, Biden already put in the order to to have Federal Reserves to help out the state. So it just was it was corny to me. Like it was like, let me distract some of the anger people have right now with what's going on off me and put it on to the to 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 like the other party so they can like feel the heat of the people being upset in Texas. Yeah, yeah. And you know, something else that I don't know if people realize, but Texas is I mean, we're all oil and gas, right? And Houston specifically is the oil and gas capital of the world, not just the country, but the world. So what we have going on here, energy-wise, has international implications. And for him to imply that the wind, the you know, the sustain, the one sustainable energy source, that's the one to be blamed. It's ridiculous because everything else that we do is all about oil and gas. You know, the United States claims energy independence because of Texas because of our offshore drilling and because of fracking and things like that, which is a whole other story that we don't, we're not going to get into right now, but, um, but it, it it's, it's kind of goofy. I think that's, 
it's very frustrating. So that's, I think, the nicest word that I can come up with. But yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think he knows that. I feel like, like how, as the governor of Texas, do you go on national news station and say that and not know that it sounds ridiculous, you know? So, but I guess people believe it. You know, he was like basically blaming the Green New Deal, which Texas has not adopted. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense there either. Yeah, I think, oh, um, go ahead, Ben. Oh. Yeah. I want to say uh, two things really quick. One, I went to Houston for the first time, 2019, yeah. and it, I, I felt like everybody knows about oil and gas there. Like the Uber driver was telling us about the gas taxes in California, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the gas prices were crazy low. Yeah. But um, going kind of back to what Caesar was saying, or what what the governor was saying, it's just really unfortunate, and I feel like we're just going to have to expect any time something catastrophic happens, there's going to end up being this lie narrative that goes out that just muddies the waters of truth, no matter what. Like, I don't know what to expect when I hear Greg Abbott go on TV to talk about what's going on in this catastrophe in Texas, but it's really a shame that he's coming out talking about wind turbines and the Green New Deal and things that have nothing to do with what's going on. And they're doing it on purpose. Like, they know that that's what's worked for the Republican Party, at least since Trump's been there, to just muddy the waters, just, you know, put out this narrative and that put out a complete lie narrative. And even the people that don't necessarily pay attention to politics, you'll have somebody say, oh, well, I heard it was because the uh, wind power. Oh, well, I, I heard it's because of, uh, you know, the Green New Deal. And it just muddies the waters when the truth is very plain, very easy. But when you put these lies out, then you can just, it's not even like you're putting the accountability on somebody else. You're just, just throwing accountability to the wind. Yeah. And that's definitely happening too. Like I've had conversations, people are like, oh yeah, I heard it was the windmills. I'm like, it's not the windmills. You know, like I've had to personally correct people on that already, you know, so many times. And you know what? The other part of that, as far as distracting from what the actual issue is, is that they were doing that instead of actually helping people and yeah. instead of actually trying to resolve the issue. You know, if you want to backtrack, fine, whatever, we'll deal with that afterwards. But in the meantime, people are freezing in their homes. They don't have water to drink. They have nowhere to go. Like there's actual problems that need to be addressed right now. And our governor chose to do that instead. Yeah, there's there's, there's a point around here that we are getting at is that the there's accountability that needs to be had here. And it's gonna be a kind of a theme of the show is broad accountability that Republicans are constantly skirting. But I wanna kind of get in some way, um, in some context into the history of the Texas power grid because this isn't just something that started today. Um, and so if people who are going to understand this a little bit more who wanna take that avenue, um, they should know certain things about that. So like I'm reading from um, the, let me see, Texas Tribune, who did like a lot of really good reporting on this as it was happening, so shout out to them. But the Texas Interconnected System, which for a long time was actually operated by two discrete entities, um, had a certain priority, staying out of the reach of federal regulators. In 1935, FDR signed the Federal Power Act, which uh, charged the Federal Power Commission with overseeing interstate electricity sales. By not crossing state lines, Texas's utilities avoided being subject to, subjected to federal rules. Quote, freedom from federal regulation was a cherished goal, more so because Texas had no regulation until the 1970s, writes Richard Cudahy in a 1995 article. 
Um, ERCOT was formed in 1970 in the wake of a major blackout in the Northeast in November 1965, and it was tasked with managing grid reliability in accordance with national standards. The agency had assumed additional responsibilities following further electric deregulation in Texas a decade ago, and the ERCOT grid remained beyond the, the jurisdiction of the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, which um, regulates interstate electric transmission. That's basically all to say that it's been in the history of Texas to have things their own way, do things their own way. Sure, like that's the state, that's what you get to do as a state. Um, but always facing the possibility of wanting to secede, they wanted to make sure they had their own power grid. Okay, so sure, that's fine. Then they chose as a state to deregulate it pretty much every single turn. And then when there were different mistakes and if issues like this, not enough was done. So it just kind of highlights a lot of what Yasmin said. It's like, this isn't just, oh, we're reacting now and this is a freak storm of climate change. It absolutely is uh, like an effect of climate change and it's probably like things like this are going to get worse. But there were warning signs. There have been warning signs for decades that have been purposely ignored because the Republican Party has an ideology of not of making government not work. They don't want government to work in any sort of situation. They want everyone's idea of the government to be like going to the Department of Motor Vehicles in their state. They want you to hate it. They want it to be grating. So that way, when they go into the voting booth, you vote for the people who say, we're going to deregulate government. We're going to defund it. We're going to make sure that you pay no taxes. So government can't do anything at all. So that way, all um, the buddies of Greg Abbott, and he's really deep in the pocket of the oil and gas industry in Texas, they can get richer. And in situations like this right here, where you have a when you have a freak storm that is like knocking out power and infrastructure all across the state, the government just kind of shrugs. And in some states, in some cases, there's that one mayor who said, it's your fault. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get your own electricity. Make these things yourself. You shouldn't rely on the government to do these things for you and get water to your house and uh, make sure your families are safe. Like, it's just an absolute backwards ideology that has been decades in the making. Yeah, it, it's so funny to hear you talk about Texas like that because so I'm originally from the Northeast. I'm from Connecticut. So when I moved here when I was 11 and it was like culture shock moving from New England to Texas, you know, and now I'm like this weird Yankee Texan. It doesn't even make sense. But like just a week or two ago, Texas, like our Texas legislator was working on secession because I don't know, because of Joe Biden or something. And it's like, I feel like there's a million other things he could be wor worried about right now, but that's what they were doing. The entire state government in Texas is red. The entire thing is like deep, deep, deep oil and gas conservative Republican red, right? The major cities of Texas are all blue, right? So we have Democratic mayors in Austin, Houston, Dallas, uh, not Fort Worth, San Antonio, El Paso. So it's, there is a lot of disparity between the cities and the rural areas, but of course, we still have a red government. So there's also this role in Texas government called the Texas Railroad Commissioner, which has nothing to do with railroads. It's all energy. I don't, they need to rename it because nobody knows what it is, but they're really important. It, it's a really critical role. And right now it's all oil and gas people. And there was a Democrat who was running for it in the last election, and I really wanted her to win, but there was no way she was going to, you know, because she wanted to move towards more sustainable methods. She wanted to work on reducing fracking and things like that, which needs to happen. And of course, she didn't get elected because Texas is all oil and gas. And at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. Is And there is... Um, 
some oil and gas company, I think today I was reading about it, they were saying, you know, like, oh, yeah, this is really great for business. You know, we made a lot of money off of this because, you know, gas prices are skyrocketing and electric bills are skyrocketing right now. It's all money. It's all money. Uh, Sean, mm-hmm. you've been a little bit quiet. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> um, it's just hilarious. Uh, just listening to a libertarian hellscape that is going on right now. Because of all the deregulation, everything's gone on um, since the 30s. It's, it's funny. I, I found out about the power grid a couple of years ago when I was researching uh, nuclear technologies, because something I've always been interested in is, is renewables, especially nuclear and other stuff. And I saw that Texas had its own um, power grid. I went, why the hell do they have their own power grid? I thought everything would be federally regulated. And I looked into it. I go, that's going to be a disaster at some point. And sure enough, it's obviously showing its uh, ugly rear end right now. And um, yeah, I feel for all the people it's affected, though. I have a bunch of family in Austin. I have my girlfriend's family is all in El Paso. So luckily in El Paso, it's not bad in, in Austin. So some of my family members, they were out of, of power for about a week. So they I saw their stuff on, on uh, online going like they're having to just grounds for food and trying to stay warm as much as they can. Mm-hmm. So I really feel for all the people that have been affected by poor leadership and stupid decisions and things that shouldn't happen, especially in this country. I mean, it's, it's abhorrent and terrible of what's been going on over there. Yeah. Especially just really fast. I gotta say there's been this one side of the left that I really don't like that is like, Oh, well, this is the government you voted for. So this is what you get. And I'm just not going to be the kind of person who like is going to like shame someone or like be even in any kind of way joyous about like, the suffering that regular people are going through um, just because it happens to be a Republican red state. I mean, that doesn't uh, like doesn't even go to the fact that Texas has been gerrymandered to hell by Republicans. It's like another case where, as is the rest of the country, people just aren't motivated to vote because of things like this, because of like the political machinations and people just being disillusioned with politics. So to blame everyday regular people saying, ha, it's their fault for that kind of thing. Like that's conservative shit. That's Republican vile shit. Like I'm not going to tolerate that from like people who supposedly call themselves progressive. Well, uh, those people are kicked out. If they said that they're out the club. <laughs> they probably that's listen right. to Jimmy's. They probably listen to Jimmy Dore. <laughs> and also, <laughs> Also, Connecticut to Houston is also the trajectory of uh, George W. Bush. So, oh, what? I did not even know that. I have no idea. You guys have so much in common. Oh, great no. El- elite yeah. company there. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord. Um, speaking of elite company, let's talk about Ted Cruz, I guess, because Ted Cruz was caught. <laughs> this is one of my favorite, like. When I saw this story unfolding in real time, uh, one of these evenings during the week, I was like, this is a layup for Democrats. Like, come on, just, this, is, this is everything you want. Ted Cruz is like, Ted Cruz is the country's probably most hated politician from the left and also in many ways from the right. And there's a really interesting history surrounding that, but it really coalesced this week where in the midst of a wild storm in Texas that was knocking out power and heat and water to uh, millions of people in Texas and you were intermittently or in a lot of ways their pipes burst. So it's like permanent damage that's going on. the people in the government are like not really acting in a quick enough way to respond to these measures. So people are having to turn to mutual aid, their neighbors. Um, in some ways, this is the 
uh, Republican dream of not relying on government to do anything, but it's like obviously not sufficient and the government has the resources and they're just actively choosing not to do it. Speaking of actively choosing not to do anything about the problem, you have Ted Cruz. These photos started to resurface, um, or surface just online in general, of what looked like Ted Cruz in an airport in Houston, uh, just in the midst of all of this calamity happening in Texas. And journalists had to go and confirm, was this photo taken in that day? Uh, are there corroborating images from different angles? Is that even really Ted Cruz? Uh, what poor man in the world or in the country looks like Ted Cruz but isn't? That's got to be a shitty way to live. And then like, um, once the corroborating evidence hit, it then got even more information around the fact that like, um, Ted Cruz was headed to Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> in the midst of all of what's going on with his family, with a pretty large bag. And I think the bag is a really interesting point um, to, to point out when you see all these photos, because once people get outraged that Ted Cruz is on this trip, he then comes with this like bullshit lie where he's throwing his kids under the bus saying that his kids really wanted to go on this trip <laughs> because they... Um, didn't like the storm and all of their friends were going so they wanted to go and being a good dad I wanted to go and go with them and be with them and get some work done at home or uh, get some work done remotely but there's a uh, I'm seeing that people need the, the state of Texas needs me and so I'm going to have to fly back and cut my trip home early it was always going to be like a weekend trip or like a drop them off come back uh, never mind my very large bag that was going to be meant for a couple days during the Senate recess or anything like that um, just being roundly railed in the media, it was very funny. And I have a lot of thoughts about like this moment in Ted Cruz's political history and where we can go in the future of that. But I want to get everyone's reactions to that ridiculous shit that was happening. What a family guy that one is, <laughs> isn't he? Yeah. How the hell do you blame your children and all of that? Like, that's the first thing that when you said that, I'm like, man, he's he's let his, his wife get destroyed by Donald Trump, do all that stuff, and then blames everything else on now with this with his children. Like, damn, that's a that's a shit of a family guy right there. That's the last <laughs> thing you ever do is to blame your children for anything. You take responsibility for your actions and own up for it. But we know Ted Cruz is the last person to ever take responsibility for anything for his own actions. No, no forget in. them kids. I would have done the same. Anyways. Um, <laughs> um i just think it's like like it's just definitely just another one of the the additions to the ted cruz greatest hits youtube compilation and we're just gonna be all watching one day like all the times he just got destroyed um but at the same time he's still he's still working which is just lo lovely to know uh i mean you you already knew you already knew the response wasn't gonna be owning up for mistakes it wasn't gonna be i made an error i, I am human error no no the response is, you guys are all wrong. <laughs> um, this large carry-on that barely fits the regulation, I'm sneaking on here, I'm not snitching though, um, is because I'm just going to go and come back real quick. It's all good. There's not five sets of underwear in there and socks for the whole week. It's just, it's just, it's a go and come back bag. That's it. It's just an Xbox in there and I'm going to roll right back real quick. That's what Ted Cruz is trying to do, so... I'm just at any, any point. It would actually be baffling to me if Ted Cruz took the other stance. I'm like, whoa, we're out here growing. Okay, never mind. Take responsibility. No, of course that was his answer. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this whole saga is whenever he was coming up with all these various lies as to why he did what he did, 
the person who outed them was one of like this very close friend of theirs in a group text with his wife. I was like, man, nobody likes these people. I don't even like that they live in Houston with me. I don't even like that they're in my own city. By the way, Houston did not vote for Ted Cruz. Houston went for Beto, by the way. We don't even like him here, you know? Yo soy Beto. And then the... Yeah, yeah, like, whatever. <laughs> Beto is Beto, but... When he's he's not better Ted than Ted Cruz, let's but, say that. We'll say that, yeah. And then it's it's so funny to me that he's doing all these things and all the lies that he came up with were so easily disproven and so quickly, you know? It's like, what what was your goal here? What were you planning on doing? How are you... But the thing is, yeah, Ted Cruz never has any kind of accountability anyways. I don't think he was too worried about it. The other thing... I guess when he saw all the coverage of everybody talking about, you know, oh, Ted Cruz left for Cancun, that's ridiculous. Nobody actually asked for him to come back. He could have just stayed. It would have been fine, you know, because the thing is, everybody here is already doing the work. And then he puts out a tweet like, oh, we're going to get power back to all the people who need it. It's like, yeah, we were already doing that. So now he's just taking credit for everybody else's work. All these Democratic uh, mayors and all these activists and volunteers, all these people who are working their asses off all week. And when he left, that was the peak of it. You know, if he was going to be like, we don't need him now. You know, we needed him then. If we, if we needed a senator, if we needed a leader, it would have been then. He didn't Goddamn do AOC is out there he? raising like nearly a million dollars plus. Yeah, she's in Houston well, right now. Well, yeah. In, didn't Beto O'Rourke even do stuff? And he's yeah. Beto and AOC, yeah. He was like doing yeah. some, yeah, doing some fundraising. Like, what the hell? Yeah. That's not even a yeah. job of his. Um, yeah. I'm going to quote Jay-Z. I remember Jay-Z said, I don't land at the airport. I call it the clear port. I was just tripping that Ted Cruz is flying with other people. You don't become a Republican senator to fly with people. You fly private. <laughs> I, I, like, hey. like, is that bad for a Like, he's rich. If hey. I'm a Republican senator, nobody cares about your corruption. Nobody has any standard for you. I'm flying private on the people's dime. Yo, he tried, to, he tried, he tried to save some dollars and got caught up in the, in the people's WhatsApp messages. Because <laughs> no, he, he saved he some dollars. Too. It was coach. And he was trying to get like, he was like <laughs> on standby coach? for business and he didn't get it or something like that. It was, it was like, what is happening? It would be great to be flying Yo. to Cancun because you're trying to avoid the storm in Texas. You're like, holy shit, am I sitting next to Ted Cruz? <laughs> that was literally a <laughs> selfie Yo. of these two kids who like put the smiley faces with the chill of the sunglasses eyes over their heads yeah. with Ted Cruz looking back. On his iPhone, it was so clutch. Hey man, you're on Yo. this flight. Ain't you supposed to be working or something? What are you doing here? This <laughs> you? Yo, put shell out those eight racks and fly <laughs> private like a yeah. real one. You're you're a Republican, dude. You, you got can fracking money, anything. son. You got oil money. You got gas money. You got you can get Trumper money now. The thing is, I mean, I, I, I can go into my whole thing about Trump grifting, and then you know, fuck it, I will my show. Um, I'm gonna the, the aspect of this <laughs> is just like <laughs> the aspect of like Ted Cruz has just spent the latter part of the past four years caping for Donald Trump, the person who, like as Sean alluded to earlier, made fun of the appearance of Ted Cruz's wife, did some of the most nasty uh, attacks we had seen in politics up to that point against Ted Cruz. And I'll always, always, always point to that photo of Ted Cruz, the sniveling little bitch, phone banking for Donald Trump that one time <laughs> during that, um, during the 2016 election, once the entire party had to coalesce for the, like, 
they had to coalesce around like Donald Trump because they knew that he was the avenue for power, right? And so Ted Cruz has just like been just this slimy sort of like person trying to make the cleanest argument for Donald Trump's sometimes messy things, like finding a way to be in favor of the border wall, finding a way to do all of these things that there are constituents in Texas who didn't like, right? Like it's, it, but you have to remember that Ted Cruz was elected off of this, some would call it populist right-wing sentiment. I don't think there's populism on the right wing right now. I think it's just a um, never-ending torrent of bigotry, racism, sexism, and like all these other different things. But like Ted Cruz got in during the Tea Party Revolution. I believe uh, he was sworn in in 2013. So it's like during the 2012 midterms and all that stuff. And he was known for doing these long filibusters, basically jamming up the uh, like gears of government basically making the case that people shouldn't get health insurance if they don't want health insurance, um, which is an insane argument, especially now during a pandemic. But Ted Cruz has made his political bet on being the voice of the mob and reading the tea leaves of the mob. And rather than uh, respecting uh, the wishes of his constituents or respecting the wishes of, honestly, his own self-respect or his family's self-respect, He's constantly looking for the easiest way to add not only just like, yeah, shame to his record, but the easiest way to figure out where the mob is so he can gain that game that for political power. And it, it's gone all the way to this point where I still don't know what it's going to be like in the next four years. Maybe Ted Cruz's bet is right. And the Trump wing of the party of the Republican Party becomes the Republican Party more broadly, or maybe that already has happened. I don't know. More on that later, maybe. Um, that, that might be the case, right? And Ted Cruz is right. And Ted Cruz, for having made all of these positions in the past, will align closely enough with what that mob wants. And Ted Cruz will ultimately be president and maybe get elected. I don't think so, because people ultimately dislike the guy, but that's his bet, right? Even still, the, there's the opposite chance, there's a slight chance, I think most people are looking at this in a reasonable way, will see this chance, that <laughs> Ted Cruz fell on the sword for Donald Trump in one of the worst ways possible, a president who got impeached twice, who was record-breaking in his stupidity and breaking of norms in all the horrible things he did. Ted Cruz was his number one apologist. And there's an easy way to frame that and weaponize that and use that against him um, in a way that I feel like I'm kind of doing right now. Uh, whether the Democrats do that or not, almost certainly not, because they're just bad at political strategy more broadly. But I think it's just really telling of the state of the Republican Party and the Tea Party movement, but especially the Republican Party right now, because the Tea Party movement definitely became the Republican Party, is that this is their avatar. This is their king. <laughs> and this is, this is the sniveling little brat that they've got. I remember one time I was in a coffee shop in Fort Worth and I was like, I overheard these two dudes behind me and they were talking and they were like, yeah, we need to come up with a strategy for the Republican party and whatever year it was and who's going forward. And they were talking about like who they want to run for president for the Republican party. And they were like, yeah, I guess it's going to be Ted Cruz. Like he, he kind of sucks, but he's the best we've got. That's what they said. Other Republicans who were going to like help get him elected to presidency were like, yeah, he sucks, but he's what we've got. So that's that always kind of stuck with me. That was maybe like six years ago or something like that. But if we don't like him here either. 
if you ever get a chance, listen to some of his dad's uh, sermons and quotes. They're insane. Not really. His, his dad, a uh, Cuban immigrant, I don't know if he helped kill JFK or not, but... Uh, we report you decide. His dad is, say, say we what, report say you decide. <laughs> his, da- his dad has said some insane things. It's crazy. He's like an evangelical preacher. Oh, that, that, that's, that's... I just yeah, want to imagine Ted Cruz sitting in a coach and someone kneeing him in the back. He's uncomfortable in a chair. <laughs> Ted Cruz getting upset. I wish that was me behind him. My big old knees. Oh, you. <laughs> he like leaned back and be like, no, there's no space, homie. And push him back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that's some spirit that's shit. It's so funny you said that. Yeah, I was, I actually thought about that. I was like, what would I do if I was at Bush Airport right now and I just like was on a plane next to Ted? I, I honestly don't know what I would do, what I would say. I have, I don't know. It could go so many different ways, you know? Like, I thought senators travel with security details or like Secret Service or something like that. Oh, no, now he, we know he's not. Well, kind <laughs> of. So he he contacted HPD to like escort him and give him. And this is in the middle of a like a, the city is in crisis and he's taking cops now to go help him go on vacation. And there was a security mm-hmm. guard parked in front of his house the whole time who was apparently watching the dog. Mm. That's cool. weird. And his dog's name is Snowflake, which is also fun. It's just like oh. so many layers to Ted Cruz right now. We barely even gotten to the fact that he's doing this like little trip in the midst of COVID nineteen ravaging Texas and as well as other parts of the country. But like, again, more on that later. Uh, Ted Cruz is such an ass clown. Uh, I'll wrap up this bit of things by saying there's a ton of mutual aid efforts that are happening that are going on in different parts of the entire state of Texas. Um, There's too many to really list right now, but I'll put them in the description of the video and the podcast so people can check them out, really support them. They take like Venmo, Cash App, all of those things. Because as we learned a lot in 2020 with mutual aid for... um, rent and Black Lives Matter related things and uh, like the Iowa Derecho and all these other different things that were happening. Uh, building a left power that is able to support people when the government is failing as the government continues to fail and do nothing, uh, that will definitely help build credibility in the long run for the movement. But also it's just like a good thing to do for people who are definitely hurting. So uh, check out those links in the description right there. Um, is Ted Cruz broke? Maybe he's broke. <laughs> Maybe he needs some relief. <laughs> I don't know. He's paying $300 a night at the Ritz-Carlton so for an impromptu trip. So that, That's really not even that much if you borrow it. <laughs> right? For Ted Cruz, right? Yeah. He, he might be struggling out here. No, I'm saying he's, he's getting guy. fracking money, dude. Like, he's got to be upping it a little bit. It's not enough to get a private jet, though. He can, he can take with those Uber planes. Something like Uber planes in Texas. <laughs> for, for a private, you can catch an Uber plane. No, okay, Brett Kavanaugh, before he uh, did his whole uh, inaugural, whatever you call it, um, he had like $200,000 in credit card debt or something crazy like that. Oh, shit. Some, some like crazy amount of number, amount, uh, amount in credit card debt. He was struggling out here. Ted Cruz might be on that same way. Are, are are you implying that now representatives and members of a 
Congress, stuff like that, are just the new like athletes that are gone broke after <laughs> after a few years. Are just the new broke people. We should is that the new ESPN thirty for thirty is coming out? Is <laughs> so Ted he, Cruz he, he, broke? Ted, Ted Cruz might be a trick. <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh, super dead. <laughs> oh my god! Somebody had to get him to uh, uh, cut his uh, mullet. Donald J. Trump is cleared of impeachment for the second time, womp womp, acquitted by the Senate 5743. Um, you need a supermajority 66 votes, I believe, in order to actually acquit on the Senate in this impeachment situation. And um, the impeachment, the Senate hearing itself was a harrowing series about a week and a half of the House impeachment managers piecing together the abundance of evidence that was given to them essentially by the people who were storming the Capitol on January 6th, uh, showing a complete picture of what was happening during that day. Because I think a lot of Americans were experiencing the January 6th events in real time on the news over the internet, watching TV updates on it, especially as people were in the midst of uh, the third lockdown of COVID-19 here in 2021, what a time to be alive. Uh, people were watching this happen in real time and a lot of the information was not fully put together. People were getting bits and pieces, but the house impeachment managers were doing a really good job of contextualizing everything and putting it together to show uh, what happened in a chronological order when Donald Trump was speaking about, or like the entire time from like the, uh, when in November, when the election was fully called for Joe Biden, talking about how we need to stop the steal, how there's these election proceedings that all these uh, senators are on and leading up to the uh, events of January 6th, saying that there are Republican senators who uh, need to be shown some courage. We need to go out there as a crowd and convince these Republican senators who are iffy on voting on certifying the democratic process that was certified to be uh, free of major amounts of voter fraud, like Donald Trump alleged. Uh, they want to intimidate these Republicans into overturning the will of the people in order to elect Donald Trump, the white king, to his second term in office. Basically overriding the entire system and making him like king forever, because are the Republicans really gonna give up power? Will they ever give up power if they have it? Totally, absolutely not. So it's, I think it's just a really chilling indictment. It, it's a chilling indictment of the fact that Trump has been through multiple instances of attempts of accountability and some attempts were flimsier than others and other attempts were like very strong and very clear cut and like we caught his ass in 4k right but ultimately all of these events were pointless not because the evidence wasn't mounting very highly or because <clears throat> of any sort of uh lack of not lack of wrongdoing on donald trump's part but there was no accountability because every step of the way we knew well, Republicans have this amount of entrenched power based on how the Senate is structured in the United States. And so as long as they are hyper-partisan and refuse to hold their own accountable, they're going to continue giving the worst abuses that have happened in American history a pass because it gives them access to power or gives them access to a mob that they can use to get back into power and sustain their power. And... There's a lot to be said about what Democrats could have done differently or perhaps better, but, and, and I criticize Democrats a lot on this show and definitely will, but I think there's just so much to be said that this is the post-accountability era where we now have in precedent 
that we don't hold Donald Trump accountable for basically anything. So anything Donald Trump did is fine to do. And Democrats are probably not going to go down that route of, re of using Donald Trump as precedent for their actions. But Republicans definitely will in the future. And I'm afraid the next time they do, it's going to destroy America entirely. Not to be bleak about it or anything. <laughs> Oh, does anyone want to? I, I do those things where I like go into rants and then just like stop. But uh, does anyone want to uh, kind of chime in on like their feelings on the impeachment process and Come like on, the results? Yeah, Sean, let's get in there. Um, so the whole impeachment thing, first off, it's crazy to like obviously when the whole insurrection and stuff was going down, um, it's crazy to see all of the uh, Republican voters and stuff turn on turn on Pence like on a dime. And all of that. And now to see all of the evidence of Trump going into it about going into Pence, I go, wow, there's no loyalty there. Damn. Doggy dog world. For Sticking that. the mob um, on Pence but, while the mob was moving is like specifically what you're describing. Yeah, that's, exactly. in, that's the vice on your own vice president out of the context of American history. That's insane. Right. Yeah, it's men it's mental. Um, it, it's for all of the. For the history of the United States, I mean, there's always been a bunch of presidential scandals. I mean, you have um, stuff with Clinton, you have stuff with Nixon and all the other stuff. But this really overshadow, overshadows a bunch of that, in my opinion, because it's it's an attack on, on U.S. soil. It's an attack on the institutions of America that the last time it was attacked was the English trying to burn it down in, you know, 1812. So... Um, yeah, it's it, it's a shame that obviously it didn't get impeached. Now you can kind of move on from it, I guess, because it's one of those things that now you, there's not much we can do about it, unfortunately. Um, and now it's to try and keep more people in government accountable, trying to do as much as we can to vote people out, to do the things that we can do individually to keep these people accountable. And I'm seeing more and more stuff of like the people at the insurrection and stuff getting. Um, uh, into jail or getting questioned all that there's like a whole twitter feed of that so it's nice to see some of that go on going on but now it's there's also obviously a history of, of um unaccount unaccountability i don't know what the english word is for that but the hey shut up bam <laughs> of um all the stuff that's gone on and i want more of that in our government um more things to be put in place to to keep presidents accountable, to keep people in government accountable for all of that. So um, we can move forward now and try and move past it, but never forget and never leave all of that stuff necessarily behind. But yeah, those are my two cents. Still, I'm very pissed about it. Um, can I go? No. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Trump is still saying he won the election. He was having some. Uh, yeah. He was he was eulogizing. He was eulogizing uh, Dan's favorite media personality, Rush Limbaugh, <laughs> and he was still saying that he won the election and that he was cheated and it was stolen and everybody knows that. Uh, <laughs> Dan's pouring some out for Rush, um, and and it's it sucks because it's going to be something that like we're we're never going to stop hearing that he's never gonna he's never going to admit defeat <laughs> like. I don't know. Hopefully he doesn't live past tomorrow, but if he lives another few years and past 2024, if I don't know if he's going to run or not, but he's still going to be saying that and that that narrative is going to continue to be out there. 
no matter if every single other person in the world is saying like, yeah, dude, you lost, get over it. He's still going to be saying that. Um, and going back to the impeachment, I don't think any of us expected him to, to the Senate to convict, but Mitch McConnell um, was saying afterwards that Trump may have not been like impeachable for his actions, but he, but he may have committed crimes that can be convicted in a criminal court. He said that on the record. So hopefully if he, if Trump is tried for in criminal courts, they call Mitch McConnell's next for uh, to be a witness because you were there. Hopefully they call him to come sit on that uh, witness stand like Takashi and point fingers. I want to see Mitch McConnell pointing people out because he said it. Yeah, you know, he th th and that was kind of like the moment people kind of get wanted to like give Mitch some credit. Like, you know, he, he and and you know maybe somewhat to his credit, he he took a bold stance even by saying that he didn't have to say that. No, but get up on that stand, then, homie. I mean, he, he showed a lot, a lot of backbone that that entire party wasn't showing for a long time. So, not saying Mitch is a good dude, but I was like, all right, well, you got some uh, character, I guess, uh, that's standing, not letting just Trump run over you like the he does. He's done with the whole party the last four years. Um, and it, I just think to me, it's like when when Dan was talking about the whole Pence thing, like historically, it's shocking, but like where we are now, it's like almost not because. When the minute we, it, it already started getting weird when he was pretending like Pence had mega powers to give him like presidency, like he had some kind of uh, hidden key we didn't know about or some kind of Easter egg he picked up on the way that could give him presidency automatically. Um, and then Pence is like, uh, like, what are you like? Is this a way of you kind of blaming me? For, like, are you trying to like put the pressure on me now? I don't know what's going on here. Like, because I'm not doing that, dude. <laughs> like, like it was just it was awkward for like. Like even that party, everything the Republican Party was probably thinking that was a very awkward moment. They're like, uh, are we supposed to ride with this too? Like, you know, it's we went this far, like, you know, so it's 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 only to be expected that of course when Trump comes out with his super awesome uh, Amazon book or whatever when he writes one day about this, this his glorious win that never happened, he's probably gonna have a whole chapter just dissing Mike Pence in there and then we're all gonna be here for it. But uh yeah, I'm I'm just kinda agreeing with Bam. I just it would be kind of cool if they had like the hearing set up and then we get to be, see Trump be smug the whole time. And, and in comes a uh, surprise witness, right, to the stand. Here comes Mitch McConnell, you know, like, walking through like, oh, it's about to get good now. <laughs> C-SPAN, change the cameras. Let's get that good angle right now. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Trump to catch Mitch McConnell outside like Takashi did with, with Meek Mill the other week. I'm waiting for that. <laughs> and I want that shit on World Star. Nah. Mitch McConnell got real security on like Ted Cruz. <laughs> Who's <laughs> <laughs> one of the most hated people in this country? He's definitely got top security going. <laughs> I think one of the things that I, well, a lot of people didn't like what Mitch McConnell had to say because he said all of it, but he still voted to save him, right? And a lot of these votes and things like that, it's all a numbers game, right? So they needed two thirds of the Senate to vote. They didn't have the numbers. They knew they weren't going to get that many Republicans to flip on the other side of the aisle. So what you had now was a situation where the majority of senators voted to um, prevent him, to bar him from ever running from office again. But the majority still wasn't enough. They still lost that, that election. 
So somebody like Mitch McConnell now, he can come out and say whatever he wants, but his voting record still reflects that he voted to save Donald Trump. He still voted with Donald that Trump. Part. And at the end of the day, that's what people see. That's what people remember. And that's what matters. You know, he can say whatever he wants. It doesn't matter. If he testifies against Trump later in court, that'll be something I'm not holding my breath for it, but mm, it won't be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's like a, a, a nice thought experiment for the idea of Mitch McConnell having to in like a season seven of Game of Thrones kind of way, like backstab uh, Donald Trump himself. But like, again, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think it's more likely that one of them dies beforehand. <laughs> I mean, it's also crazy just like, I, I can't even imagine what's on Mike Pence's mind. Like, these people were going to kill him, dude. Like, they were actually going to murder him if they caught him. And Trump was egging them on. I I can't even hold that. Like, I can't hold that for one second. I can't imagine that. I mean, I just looked on Mike Pence's Twitter. I was like, well, maybe he's like not even active anymore. And he's kind of just like out of the public. But, you know, he's talking about uh, NASA, Mars landing, uh, whatever he's talking about and Breitbart articles. But to have, I mean... I feel like most of the energy of that mob on this on January 6th was, you know, it's, it's going to, a lot's going to be for Nancy Pelosi, but so much of it was for Mike Pence. And, you know, they're, they're screaming, hang Mike Pence, dude. Like, they were going to kill him. And then we saw the footage. Like, he wasn't that far away. If I don't know if that was the door that they were trying to kick open. I can't remember. But, like, they were going to, mur- like, the Trump supporters... We're going to murder you. And Trump at no point in time was like, hey, you know, do your thing. But leave my buddy Mike alone. <laughs> like, you know, hey, take care of your but watch, like, don't touch nothing, Mike, though. like he's putting the pressure on Mike Pence and these people are going to kill him. I mean, are we surprised that we already talked about like, you know, uh, his his morals as a human in terms of even being a businessman? Like, of course, when the going gets tough, it's not let me go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, just dip down and work harder. It's hmm, who can who can I start throwing this off my shoulder a little bit on? Who can I who can I let carry some of this weight other than me? Oh, Mike Pence. Mm, okay, why don't I just make give him magical powers that don't exist? That ought to kind of dissuade a little bit of this, and I can continue my campaign. Uh, what the election was four months ago? I still talk about how I won and I broke a record, even though I lost by like ten million. But okay, yeah, yeah, like you know, we're we're still we're still here. We won, we won. <laughs> I, but I'm just thinking about Mike Pence. Like, not not that I like care about him much as a person or have the same politics as him. Obviously not. And. Uh, let me let me leave that part out. Um, <laughs> but I just can't even imagine how he feels. Like they were gonna kill him, dude. Like you're like you're you're in your place of work. These people invade, and like your boss is like egging them on. And if they would have got their hands on, they would have ripped them apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah how do, how does he not take that personally? That his own senators, like he ran that Senate for four years, you know, and they voted. They didn't. They didn't care that he could have died. Even Mitt Romney, you know, how does he not take that personally? I think for me, if I was Mike Pence, that's what would piss me off more than more than Trump, because with Trump, you know, I think even Mike Pence knows not to expect more from Trump than what he got. But 
I think the part that would bother me more is all these senators, like these people are trying to kill me. I ran this Senate for four years with all of you. You know, these are my buddies and you guys still wouldn't do it. So Insane. if I was Mike Pence, I would just drop out of politics. Or maybe that's just wishful thinking on my own part. <laughs> can't tell. Yeah, uh, yeah I, w- I wish a lot of these people would drop out of politics. Mitch McConnell especially. Like he's just mm-hmm. one of like... Like, as a Speaker of the House, when it's all taken contextually, once they make textbooks about the fall of the American Empire, uh, whether it be in a decade or four, like, they're, they're going to talk about Mitch McConnell and the way he just did a really good job of gumming up the system in a purely, like, um, crass political choice to make sure that Republicans had power all the time and Democrats never accomplished anything that could possibly win them any sort of structural support. Um, or any sort of chance at getting electoral support, which could then get some some structural support, because Democrats in many ways are at structural disadvantages to Republicans. Um, like the, the the thing I hate about Mitch McConnell is the thing he does, where he'll talk to the New York Times, for example, right, and he will give these dumb little quotes saying, "Oh, you know, I'm really upset about what Donald Trump this did this time. He really needs to cool it and kind of calm down." So the New York Times can run a pretty article that says, "We've got this exclusive clip or like this exclusive quote from Mitch McConnell actually showing that he's a real person for once." And all of those shit libs get all super happy about it like, "Oh yeah, Mitch McConnell deep deep down there he knows something. He has this value of decorum and knows the way things should run and he hates Donald Trump and thinks he's an anomaly." And then as like Yasmin kind of said, it's in the record that he is constantly uh, participating in Donald Trump's weird political agenda and will continue to do that, seeing as that is an avenue for the Republican Party to succeed. And so there is the story. You have the Republican Party being entirely unable to handle the worst aspects of its political machine, all of the bigotry and the racism and all of the stuff that's happening. And it's, I think it's sort of, in a separate story that was happening around this week, there's um, the Lunar New Year, the Chinese New Year that happened earlier in February, as it usually does, and there were a huge spike in um, like crimes that were happening against Asian Americans all across the country. And um, it was going viral in some places, but even then it took a little bit of time to reach actual um, press in the media, like in the mainstream media, to get them to cover it, to talk about it. And even then, rarely do they even connect the dots and like a lot of the Asian, anti-Asian American sentiment that's been going on since Trump was elected, but especially during COVID-19, um, when why can't I call it Kung Flu was actually an argument in discourse last year, um, saying it was the China virus, saying that it was um, something that was made in a lab that was made to infect Americans, not uh, killing down on these conspiracy theories, but instead hyping them up in this extended context of like um, distrust of China and then the over-extrapolation of an oversimplification of the continent so that like every Asian is Chinese in that way. There's like a number of different things that the Republicans have done to spread these lies and spread the sort of like watered down misinformation that has these consequences on people. And like I think of um, Executive Order 9066, the thing that FDR signed almost, um, I think it's like, it's just, we're almost at the anniversary of it where it's been like 80 years, so we're like nearly past that, where it was about um, putting Japanese Americans in internment camps because we just didn't know what the Japanese were up to and we didn't trust them. And so we had to make sure that we are taking away all of their property, selling it or getting rid of it and having no respect for their lives and their American dream and locking them up in camps and not taking care of them, treating them as like a second underclass. 
Um, I, I use that analogy a lot more than I do like the World War II Europe analogy and what happens kind of there because I think Americans distance themselves from the idea that historical atrocities can happen here when in reality they happen here today and have happened very recently in our past. And so to just see a lot of this, like the context of everything going on um, with this violence that is continuing to increase. And when you look at, oh, is there any sign of this like getting any better or changing or like anyone being held responsible for the rhetoric they're using? And you have Republicans who are saying, no, this is a free speech matter. I should be able to say whatever I want to on Twitter. <laughs> and that's somehow relevant to the way you speak about an entire population of people from a bully pulpit, from a stance of being having some sort of influence on others and using that to spread like brain poison and hatred to other people that leads to violence and death. So these are the real tangible consequences of the Republican Party not holding Donald Trump accountable for anything, not holding any of the people who uh, question the humanity of others in their party, not holding them accountable. They're inviting the worst people in the world to join them in that pursuit, right? And so that's what the Republican Party future is. They've made that bet. They're continuing with it. The Romney-Susan Collins thing, they're either going to quit politics or go more extreme in their own right, but the Republican Party's not going to be moderate and like never honestly was. And so I'm kind of just stuck with that feeling. Maybe I'll kind of toss it to everyone, but maybe especially Bam, because you're the usual optimist of like, what, what sort of accountability can be had other than eradicating the Republican Party in the democratic process in the way, whatever way it can be done? I don't really know if I have an answer for that. I think that, I mean, and, and I've said this multiple times on here, I don't know if there's a lot we can do about that level of politics starting at that level. I think we got to do a lot to change the culture on the ground. Um, you know, we're fighting against racism, sexism. Uh, now, like this culture of disinformation and, you know, not believing in things being true um, we got to fight against those things. And I think the more we can do that, the more people can see, like, I mean, we're talking about elected officials. So the more people will see, like, you know, those people have no level of our self, our interests. Um, so we just won't vote them in. And I don't know, it may sound naive, but I think like it starts on the ground, you know, we got to do that work with, our peers, our families, our friends, and in our communities. And then like, as we do that groundwork, it'll like spread more to the top. But what do I know? I, I think something that this harkens to, and like in the United States specifically, right? It's like the standard is the straight, white, rich male, right? And the rest of us are all just others. We're however many levels of deviation away from that standard. So your level of otherness is, you know, if you're a female, that's one step away. If you're brown, that's another step away. If you're anything but a cisgender, purely straight individual, that's another whole step away. And it's really easy to kind of lump all these others together because we're all so diverse, but people don't know the nuances, right? So that's why you have like Chinese, Japanese, Korean people. They're all lumped together into one thing. They're all suffering from all these hate crimes now, you know? Like people don't know if I'm 
Turkish. They don't know if I'm Mexican. They don't know if I'm Iranian. Like I get all kinds of things, but it doesn't matter because I'm just some kind of brown, you know? And at the end of the day, it's not even worth it sometimes for me to clarify. I'm just like, yeah, just whatever, you know, I'm whatever you want me to be. And part of that is the problem, you know, is, you know, they don't know. And I don't know if that would help, but it can't possibly hurt. Like optimistically, it can't hurt, you know, like in my own experience. But I think the more that we keep defaulting to this white, straight, rich male, the worse it's going to continue to be for the rest of us. COVID-19 continues to ravage the world. We've literally talked about COVID-19 on literally every episode of Power Report, except for like the first three, so not literally in my overuse of the word literally. Welcome to my generation. But something that is truly happening right now is a true inequality in how vaccines are being distributed. There's been a lot of coverage about this in the United States, especially where uh, certain health systems are even offering vaccines to donors of the health system on a limited VIP basis. Uh, meanwhile, there are shortages of the vaccine everywhere, and it's difficult for people who definitely need it to get it out there. Uh, distribution is certainly getting better, but uh, America is struggling in its own way. You look across the world, and everyone's having their own sort of issues with it. But in Israel, they're actually doing a pretty good job at vaccinating their population. Um, the BBC put a lot of these numbers together, and they found that when you do it as a rate of 400, I mean, at a rate of 100 people to kind of even it out in a per capita kind of basis, Israel has vaccinated 74 per 100 people um, in their population, or at least in their country. As wow. being done. Uh, that is. We're at like 18. Yeah, the United States is at 16. Uh, the United Kingdom's at 23. The United Arab Emirates is at 51. Uh, China's at three, roughly. Uh, Germany's at five. Russia's at three. They're still like kind of getting. Uh, going right we there. Suck. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, there's definitely a lot that can be done there. But I mean, this is a really good thing to say. Like, you can go into the number of um, reasons or like advantages Israel may have as a country to get their vaccinations like ramped up really well. But it's definitely a really good thing that they are getting vaccines into people very effectively in a clear, like, well thought out process. I want other countries to be able to do this because at the end of the day, the sooner more people get vaccine, we get true herd immunity. Um, not the kind Donald Trump and the Republicans are trying to spin about where we all get the vaccine, everyone dies. I mean, we, none of us get the vaccine. Uh, a lot of people die, but we all get caught with the virus, so we just sort of live with it. True herd immunity. Um, not till then can we start to get a resemblance of the new normal or back to normal or whatever. But of course, that's not always the full, that's not, this isn't the full story. And there's the fact that the way Israel has been distributing its vaccines has been very inequitable. And a lot of people have called that out. So to go to a New York Times article, which I went to this only because the New York Times, especially in this case, had the well-written argument of like, as it happened chronologically. So there are a lot of Israel's critics who said that international law obligates Israel to give Palestinians access to vaccines comparable to what it offers its own citizens. But supporters of Israel's policies contend that Palesti Palestinians assumed responsibility for health services for their population when they signed the Oslo Accords in the 1990s. And basically, this sort of it was a quibble over which uh, batch of laws should we point to to say that Israel has the 
uh, responsibility to give their vaccine to people who are in its sort of territories. And this became the sort of thing where a lot of the right-wing media in Israel started to attack the BBC for pointing out this thing that it seems like under uh, a number of different international laws and procedures, it seems like there should be a more equitable distribution that Israel is doing um, in the occupied territories that they're currently looking over. But another quote from there, the Palestinian Authority did not initially lead public calls for Israel to vaccinate Palestinians. Ahmed Majdalani, the Minister of Social Development, said the Palestinians did not publicly demand that Israel give them vaccines at first because they thought they would obtain what they needed through international donations, contacts with pharmaceutical companies, and private discussions with Israeli officials. So the Palestinians thought they'd be able to handle it themselves, but uh, things fell short, especially in the fact of negotiating with the Israelis to get some process for the vaccine to be properly distributed throughout the region so people don't die from a virus that we have, especially in that area of the world, an abundance of a cure for. Um, you now have the situation where there's a wildly unequal case, yet another wildly unequal case where it's a, not, it's a, it's a, it's a double class system. There are people who are recognized as being part of the Israel, Israeli sphere of influence. And then you have the Muslims who are just being occupied there, largely speaking. And it's definitely just creating this dual class system that highlights a lot of the inequities in the area that I think are just kind of disappointing to see. I think this is one of those, oh, sorry, Paul, are you gonna say no, something? Go, go for it. Um, I think this is one of the things where, you know, when people say, oh, I don't pay attention to politics, that's where it gets frustrating to me, right? Because this is an, a health issue. This is a public health issue. And it becomes so politicized because of existing structures that are in place. At the end of the day, like these are people, just vaccinate them. It's a public health issue. They live right next to each other, right? So just geographically, just literally, they're neighbors, right? Whether they're supposed to be there or not, they are, you know, they live there. It's just a health thing. Why is this being politicized? Of course it is. Of course it was always going to be. But I think however you feel about the issue going on over there, there's so many levels to that in and of itself. It, it always comes back to politics, you know? So you can't separate politics from real life anymore, no matter how much you choose to. And if you, if you do, if you are able to do that, then you need to understand that that is a privilege that you have because a lot of people don't have the, the privilege to ignore certain things. Yeah, like agree to disagree and let's not talk about politics are positions of privilege because for some people their entire life is politics and their humanity isn't a disagreement. Their ability to like live and like prosper in the world on a basic level and breathe and have water and maybe like some semblance of joy uh, isn't a matter of debate or discussion. So wait, Dan, you said that, was it the Israeli government trying to say because of the Oslo Accords, it's the uh, Palestinian Authority's responsibility? Yeah. Like, was that the Israeli government bringing up the Oslo Accords? Yeah, <laughs> but they're saying that due to the Oslo Accords in the 1990s, it's the Palestinians, they say the Palestinians assumed responsibility for, I, I, I'll, I'll just let you go into this because I know you know a bit about so, it. So, so, so this is the one time they want to uh, stick to the Oslo Accords. Yeah. The, the one time they're like, oh, well, remember this thing that we violated the day of and every day after? Like that, that's really funny and rich that that's the one time they want to say, but, but what about the Oslo Accords? They like, I mean, you don't even have to get into how much they violated that agreement. 
like even up to the extent like the like even putting an embassy in Jerusalem, like how however trivial that sounds, like that even is one of the biggest violations of the Oslo Accords. But um, it's absolutely. I mean, it, sadly, it shows the limits of international law, and in some levels, you can just even say international law is a joke, because it can be violated by the powerful in any moment. But based on international law, Israel is absolutely responsible for people in the occupied territories to be vaccinated um and for a lot of other things but you know we're talking about this um i think about four million israelis have been vaccinated so far there's about a little bit over four million people within the west bank and gaza and you know they're talking about oh you know we got five thousand uh vaccines and you know, a hundred thousand or whatever. I don't know what, like, I wouldn't think that Israel's going to do anything good for those people, but maybe, and hopefully they can allow for, um, maybe Turkey to send to, to be able to get vaccines to them. Um, maybe Jordan, uh, Egypt is having a lot of problems with their vaccine. They're they're actually charging people, and it's a whole big mess there. But like Turkey's actually doing a pretty good job when it comes to vac- uh, va- vaccinating the public. It seems like if if you're saying Dan that Germany's only five people out of a hundred, I think Turkey, when I last checked, was about like seven or eight people out of a hundred. So um, yeah, the numbers I ha- take that the, num- <laughs> the numbers <laughs> I have um, have. Turkey and Germany around neck and neck right now, but these are, oh, well, this is from the 15th. So it's about five days ago. It's not that old. So Turkey um, is at 4.5. Germany is at 4.9. You can take the averages of what you will, but they're pretty much in kind of a similar position. Okay. Um, But but yeah, yeah, nevertheless, take that, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, it, It is, it does, like... It, it it sucks to even think about the Israeli government being that evil to just not allow for the Palestinians to get this vaccine for like very nefarious reasons. I really hope that's not the case, but it's been really bad over the past very long time. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe Netanyahu is thinking like, well, whatever we couldn't do with, you know, uh, cluster bombs and white phosphorus, we can do with COVID-19. I mean, I, I, I hope that's not the case, but I wouldn't put it past him. I'll read. There's another part of the Oslo Accords that uh, the Palestinian authorities also point to that say, uh, says, quote, Israel and the Palestinian side shall exchange information regarding epidemics and contagious diseases, shall cooperate in combating them, and shall develop methods for the exchanges of medical files and documents. So again, it's, this, it, it's a very popular thing that happens in America, too, where you're like picking and choosing which parts of the law you want to apply at any given time, right? Caesar, go ahead. See, you didn't look under provision 2.122, which is like, basically, <laughs> I do what I want when I want when I feel like it, which is 
a big part of the, the, the Israeli fundamental government way, especially when it's dealing with Palestine. It's I, I do what I want when it's convenient to me. Um, and that's what I was kind of thinking about, too, for a while. When I knew they were going to do the vaccine distribution, I kind of was like thinking about, like, oh, man, I wonder what happens to like, places like Palestine. Like, how, how do they get access to the same resources or how, how are they affected by all this? And, of course, like, this would be the situation, right? The 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 country that's literally destroying everybody in vaccine, uh, 75 out of 100 just – um, getting crazy numbers of people vaccinated, which is extremely impressive, and 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 kudos to them for that distribution. At the same time, disgusting at a place right there, Gaza Strip and and Palestine, right there. Um, you, you just you're using some accord so these people can't get properly vaccinated. It's 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 disgusting. It's right, and it's unfortunately consistent with just the treatment Israel has done to to Palestine over years and years. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, take that, Sean. <laughs> Sean's like, what's pay, the problem? We still pay. We still pay reparations. I'm pretty we, sure. we might beat Sean. We uh, might. Okay. Be, <clears throat> Sean, oh, don't don't say we and them reparations. Don't don't involve yourself <laughs> with that. <okay? laughs> There's a month. cutoff date for your uh, Germany for, 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 uh, for my involvement. Yeah, right, that's fair. That's fair. fair Make it. Do it after the wall, man. Like America's <laughs> gonna pass up Germany and vaccine. We're gonna take that dub. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll never. Well, but then you gotta look on that death counter, sees. You gotta be. You know, whoa, man! Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, we're not flexing death numbers here. Yeah, the America flexes death whoa, numbers. Sean, whoa, Dan, please. Oh, I, I will point out for the for years, man. He's like, oh, this is we're winning this. We're this winning dude lives in America, Tumbo. Look at our numbers. Our. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I will point out for the record that uh, Brazil and Russia are neck and neck in vaccine distribution. So um, <laughs> that is two per 100. Where my flag but... <laughs> well, Even, even, even uh, places like Brazil and Russia, really big countries that have communities that are like, for all intents and purposes, off the like. grid. They're, they're, like, they were talking about the indigenous communities in Brazil like really getting uh, ravaged by COVID-19. And based on the uh, Caesar's president that he voted for, Jair Bolsonaro, I, uh, no, 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 uh, no, like his, his, you know, his campaign was, was about an antagonism towards indigenous people of Brazil. Like, you, you know, is he going to take that same approach? Like, uh, you know, divert those vaccine trucks? Uh, absolutely not. But and, and the funny thing is, is like, uh, like, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's funny. Like Bolsonaro has been absolutely the most inconsistent president i've ever seen like it's becoming like laughable because at one point it becomes oh yeah i'm gonna be giving people relief every month of like 55 reels per month for brazilian citizens during the covid for three months because my numbers are really low numbers go up i pull back the relief fund um we're gonna be working with pfizer to get vaccines vaccines come don't take them you're gonna turn into an alligator okay Take them if you want. It's it's just the most weird. It was like it, it's I don't know. I think he just gets up and just like decides today. This is how I'm gonna get down. Like I I, I don't. It's and of course when it comes to anywhere that's not a beach city, it's I could give any less about. Like it has to, all I care about is um, um all I care about is the South Rio de Janeiro Rio and that's it. And that's like the primary focal points. And of course I just gotta go to Brasilia because I work there. Like that's literally his approach to anything when it goes to Brazil economics and like what's going on with Brazil in the vaccine distribution. And, and Manaus. Okay, here's a question. Do you guys think that it might be better? It may have been since it's already happening, like uh, the United Nations task or the United Nations tasked more in delivering the vaccine? 
I don't well, trust the United Nations with anything, really. So. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah Sean kinda, here. you know. But, <laughs> I mean, they did. Well, I mean, they, we were just talking about basically with 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 um, uh, Israel vaccinations and stuff, saying how so many countries are above international law and all that stuff. So I don't trust the UN doing shit because there's so many things that have gone on within the global politics that the UN have not come into and have failed miserably at. So. I don't, wouldn't have really trusted them too much with vaccine with uh, vaccine distribution or anything. There's mm-hmm. other like there's other ways you could do it without involving them. Well, I, I think so too. I mean, I'm just kind of throwing it out there because you have like you're threatened with certain governments neglecting certain parts of their populations, or like Israel neglecting like an occupied population. Um, I mean, even not to get too in the weeds, but like. Even with uh, Morocco and the Western Sahara, like there's other situations where there's a government that's occupying a people and they are antagonistic towards those people. Like what makes what makes them stop being like, oh, yeah, the vaccine truck crashed. Good luck. You know, it, it, it it's a great point because it makes you wonder, like, what's the point of like what are international powers doing to regulate this and like to enforce um on some of these countries that think that think well they they've taken temporary ownership or like ruling over certain regions in the world it's like oh it's it's all good when it's trying to extract wealth and, and your own benefits from the land but when it comes to giving back to the lands that you're occupying and running now as you as a government now you don't want to distribute health for the people it can't it can't be like that it needs to be a two-way street so i definitely think that Hopefully, at some point, maybe this is brought up in some kind of media. Of course, I think you brought up UN is just like an example of some kind of body of going mm-hmm. in. Not necessarily we want mm-hmm. the the UN uh, rolling in there, but no, I get it. Yeah, I, like I always wonder sometimes because the UN they'll say things like, "Oh, you can't do that," and then that's it. That'll kind of be the end of it. Like, yeah, like a lot of finger wagging <laughs> and that kind of thing. And you're just like, "All right, well, thanks for for that." <laughs> You know, and then it'll kind of just stop there. You know, like the UN condemned this. Good. Yeah, we, we can all see that this is bad. Thank you for making it official. Like, so, but yeah, like maybe somebody, somebody should do something. Your boy Bush was the first one. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> he can't be my boy Bush. He can't. He can't. And now forever on Power Report. That's the yeah. Everyone. Oh, no. Everyone. You know what? Wait, wait. New, New Haven. He's from New Haven. No, I'm from Bridgeport, so okay, okay, okay. New Haven right. is over there. Right. That's, that's yeah. the bougie part yeah. of New Haven, haven't I heard, right? <laughs> the bougie part of New Haven is just Yale. Outside of Yale is not great. <laughs> yeah, They're getting cracking in Connecticut. Well, I've, I've known a lot of great people from Connecticut, um, not to disparage your uh, BAM's uh, slander over here with Bush. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of great people and not so great people and slander, this brings us to uh, my favorite portion of Power Report, where we do uh, Mario like quadruple jumps on dead bodies. So uh, <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> I'm so scared. Yes, there's always one p- being a part of Audio Face. I'm used to this. Like I'm used to to Dan and like. D- dancing on dead bodies and stuff. So like, all right, this is a normal, normal Saturday, everybody. Normal Dan, weekend. Dan just fortnighting on people's bodies or what? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is a usual point in Power Report where I shock everyone in the audience by what I'm going to say. But I'm, 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 this is this is me. This this is a new version of Dan where I'm going to actually be uh, very 
restrained with my rhetoric and talk about this. Not necessarily in a somber manner, but in an, uh, a mature manner. Hashtag corporate damn, let's do it. Yeah, so we'll go into this next segment here. We learned last week that storied radio talk show host Rush Limbaugh had uh, died of stage four cancer at the age of 70. Um, the death of cancer, of course, is not at all like, it's a, it's a thing that happens to a lot of Americans. And so that aspect of it, I definitely empathize with. That being said, Rush Limbaugh is one of the worst people in American politics. And his death is, at the very least, amusing, especially because it happened during Black History Month. Shout out, Bam. It's something we got to like shout out for here once and another. But like, it's the main aspect that like, Rush Limbaugh, not only was he a constant source of the, the worst kind of rhetoric that was spewed in like Republican spheres and circles, not only was he the source of that, but he paved a path for Republican talk radio and then Republican TV cable news, and then which led to the Republican alternative media internet space, where you talk day in and day out, scaremonger about the brown people, talk about socialism and how it's going to like ruin and it's going to take away your regular jobs, um, give yourself some smug sense of satisfaction over the guns that you own, and call that a show, and make your entire career, make millions and millions of dollars grifting onto people who hold onto your every word when people who know Rush Limbaugh in person says that he's just a radio host, he barely cares about any of the stuff anyways. Um, I, I'm going to go into some of the worst quotes before I go in, because I think that'll kind of set the tone. Um, so you can just Google Rush Limbaugh quotes and Google actually has a little thing for you, which I think is cute. So we'll start there. But there is one uh, that is, feminism was established to allow unattractive women easier access to the mainstream. That's a quote there. Um, Poverty is not the root cause of crime. If you commit a crime, you're guilty. And he was like a very one of those tough on crime people who um, was not exactly saying the same tone when he was caught with a bag full of Oxycontin trying to go to a Latin American country for the weekend. <laughs> um, people don't believe me when that happened. That totally happens. Um, when referring to black people, uh, Rush Limbaugh said, among other things, quote, they're only 12% of the population. Who the hell cares? Uh, the NAACP should have riot rehearsal. They should get a liquor store and practice robberies. Um, there's just like a number of different like horrible things that are said there. Uh, look, let me put it this to, you, th to you this way. The NFL all too often looks like a game between the Bloods and the Crips without any weapons. There, I said it. Um, you have the whole thing with Sandra Fluke, who is just a woman in college who was speaking about making sure that women have more access to a reproductive like health services, uh, really like stuff that wasn't even that far reaching. Rush Limbaugh then decided to respond to that very like normal sort of uh, like assessment of what the needs were at the time by calling the woman who talked about these things a quote slut and saying that the government should pay for her being promiscuous in society and then like weirdly making this a weird thing about him. It, it was this was Rush Limbaugh day in and day out. And it's a similar thing we talked to about in other aspects of this episode where 
Republicans had many opportunities to say, oh, Rush Limbaugh's kind of got a little bit far here. I don't know if I want to like really like put my hand on this as a Republican and say this is part of my party. But no, uh, the Republican base loved this stuff. The Republican officials started running on these kinds of things that Rush Limbaugh said. It led them to power. They got addicted to power. And there are many different different webs and things you could do to draw to Donald Trump. But Rush Limbaugh is definitely one of them. But not just Donald Trump. It's like Fox News. It's Ben Shapiro, it's Tucker Carlson, it's PragerU, it's um, Newsmax, it's OANN, it's all of them. It, it can all kind of lead back to Rush Limbaugh being the godfather of all this like hatred kind of talk um, radio, I think. So um, hearing that he's dead, fuck him, <laughs> is my opinion. But um, I want to know if anyone else has something a little bit more, I guess, uh, somber to say or maybe more measured than what <laughs> I would say. Um, I'm totally open to that. Well well, I think one thing is people um, like my, my age, they don't understand of how big Rush Limbaugh was back in the day. Like he was the biggest dude in radio and radio, especially in the 90s, was was your go to for a lot of political stuff. So he's reaching influence on a sphere of people was huge. And I think that a lot of people don't understand that because, you know, those past 10 years, he's slowly gone down downhill a bit and whatnot, especially with his health and all that jazz. But the stuff that he said was so influential and stuff that it was really pushed into a Republican sphere. So then a lot of those lawmakers started to to listen unto and say, hey, I'm listening, I'm listening to Rush Limbaugh, Brit Hume, Hume, whatever it is, um, that um, would then be put into um, politics into America. So there's a lot of his like anti-immigrant rhetoric, a lot of his stuff, like he was make fun of, of people with AIDS and he would like laugh on people who would die of AIDS. Literally. So, so many just despicable shit that he would do that I think a lot of people now don't weren't um, aware of that he did back in the day. So um, good riddance. Fuck you. And um, yeah, that's all I got to say on him. Yeah. I think for me, when I saw the headline, my, I looked at my phone, I was like, huh. And that was what I allowed myself. <laughs> and then the thing is, I consider myself a very empathetic, sympathetic person, whatever, but I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not happy that a person who disparaged so many people is gone, you know, that he's not hurting people anymore. He hurt people deliberately, intentionally, and he profited off of it. And he spread this like shitty influence for decades, you know, and it's, it's like what Sean was saying. I don't think people realize how long he's been around and how influential he has been. And I've always said, even, you know, with, with Donald Trump, I've never wished him dead, but I just want them to go away. You know, unfortunately, a lot of them won't go away until they die. You know, so it's it's like, you know, when when Trump got COVID, everybody was just kind of quietly waiting to see what happened, you know, but we all knew what everyone was thinking, you know, and it's like, I want you to go away. I don't want you to die. I would never wish death on anyone, but you're not going to go away. I'm just wait. I'm just going to wait and see what happens, you know, so that's how I feel about about that guy. I'm smoking on that Rush Limbaugh pack. <laughs> 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 Cancer wiped his nose. I don't give a damn. I got nothing for you, buddy. He wouldn't give a damn if I died. That's facts, dog. That's absolute facts. Keep going, dude. That, that's true. I'm smoking on that pack. I'm smoking yeah. on that pack. This dude called them women. I think it was, I think it was the Syracuse basketball, uh, the women's basketball team. I think it was Syracuse. He called them nappy-headed hoes. 
No way, that was I him. I, 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 I always remember that quote. Yeah, that was Holy him. shit, dude. Okay, you know what's one of the worst things? I, like, to this day, I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. But they brought Rush Limbaugh on The Breakfast Club not that long ago. You literally got Charlemagne and all of them talking to Rush Limbaugh. I couldn't believe it. And he was running circles around them, kind of. They don't really well, yeah, know about Club. like they don't. Yeah, like they don't really know about him like that. So like they didn't really know what to expect. But I, I was like, what, like what on earth? Like why are you having Rush Limbaugh on here? This is one of the worst people that is like the just the everlasting catalyst for racism and hate in this country. Like everything bad that we complain about, about a certain demographic, like why they can't stop thinking this way. Rush Limbaugh is part of that reason. He's the one that keeps pushing these narratives and make, making making these people think that it's all immigrants' fault. It's all because of, uh, you know, feminazis and whatever. Like it's it's literally Rush Limbaugh. The only credit I could give him is that he he would do a show by himself and he would be going hard for hours. Like that's kind of impressive. But- you're just spewing hate and lies, so it's like not that impressive, but like he's a showman. He, he's gonna. He's, he he, yeah, he like, knows I the mean, craft. It, yeah, that much. <laughs> but like he he's not intelligent. He wasn't some like genius. Oh, he knew how to. No, he just got up there and spewed lies and hate. I'm smoking on that pack. I could give a damn. Let me find out where he's buried. I will show up. And nobody's scared of Rush Limbaugh's ghost. <laughs> Before we go any further, uh, Sean or Caesar? Any, anyone down for the taking on that? Caesar, especially, I guess. Uh, you know, I came to this country in '96, and from that day on, it's been fuck Rush Limbaugh, so I'm good. From <laughs> 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 the day I landed, I was like, fuck this. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he's. Sean, he's German. He's German. Uh, Rush Limbaugh. Rest, rest in I mean, so is I mean, so is Henry Kissinger. So like, yeah, yeah. He, and he's, he's you, might the, you might be giving him a pass. Who knows? I didn't give nobody no passes. No. One point I have not to like go all soliloquy Dan here again, but like I'll say that there were a bunch of like fake crocodile tears from conservatives at this time who are like, if you ever want to know how liberals really feel, look at their reaction to when someone on the right dies or. Uh, all the morning saying Rush Limbaugh was a hero to the conservative movement, the way he said all these racially horrible things about black people without uttering the hard R on air, actually. It was such an art. I'm so <laughs> amazed he was actually able to pull that off. They, they were floundering him and pulling him in all this sort of like worship that was going on on Twitter. And they were all of a sudden looking and saying, oh, the liberals and the left want unity and they want to unite the country. Well, this isn't the way to do it, to be... Uh, moderately amused at the death of one of the worst people, rhetorically speaking, in American media today. Like, I, I'm totally, like, as for an individual person, what you do and how you view, like, the deaths of even, like, the worst people or even the best people, that's how you view that, and that's totally fine. And Twitter is going to be, like, a bunch of people's views interacting with each other's in real time. But one thing to point out is that these are the same people who, for the past four years, have defended Trump's, uh, they've defended Trump's rhetoric set calling Mexicans rapists, uh, horrible 
actions and like uh, kind of mischaracterizations of violence and sexual misconduct and all these different things that Trump just like kind of let slide and Republicans were totally fine with allowing to happen. Like, these are the same people who are now trying to do this moralistic game with uh, the left and saying that, oh, you can't talk about or can't be like moderately critical about someone's life while they're dead. You can't even do that, let alone celebrate it. Um, the, 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 as if, again, as if these people wouldn't do the same. Uh, people who knew Rush Limbaugh kind of personally or like outside the radio world knew that like, he's an entertainer. He's doing this as like a gimmick. It's his show. It's just like the kind of thing he does. And like, I guess, again, it goes back to something we said earlier in the podcast, which is, I don't believe that someone's humanity is like a game or something you can argue disagreement about. Um, making fun of getting, making fun of someone getting AIDS in a serious way. Like not only did Rush Limbaugh do that, Michael Savage then did that on MSNBC and got fired for it famously. Making fun of people for like getting AIDS for being gay, like it's a choice, like that kind of thing. It's not just like someone who's watching that, who falls into one of those communities gets hurt or gets offended by that. Like I don't, pers I don't care, don't give a damn. It's that other people then start to believe and internalize these things and believe it's okay and that becomes part of their worldview and they start to vote that way. And that is, knowing that that's the reality, knowing that that's the pipeline that happens and knowing that there's so much going on in the world as like not a lot of optimism going on, yes, I will take this little moment, this little like four hours of Twitter trends and go, this is kind of funny to me. This is hilarious. Um, this is some sort of like, vengeance, at least in some sort of cosmic tale kind of way of what's going on. Not everyone has to feel that way, but if someone is doing that, just <laughs> mind your business is basically what I would say. Well, and then what did they do when um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died? You know, it was the same thing. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg never talked shit about everyone, you know, so she never personally offended every minority group that was around, you know, so whatever. I'm not going to take moral advice from these people. I'm not, they're not going to make me feel guilty about who I am as a person. But, but are you am smoking on the pack, though? Am I allowed to say some wild? A little bit. <laughs> Caesar, go ahead. Yes, Caesar, go ahead. Can I say some wild? Yeah. Well, I guess it was just a late birthday gift, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> that, that, that was for, for you. Happy belated birthday. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, America. Thank you. Thank you, Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> Appreciate that, big homie. Now, uh, stop asking for reparations. That's all you get. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh, this Black History Month was the Gorilla Glue Girl and Rush Limbaugh dying. That's what we're going to remember it as. Oh, oh, God. God. <laughs> Dan, 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 you've gone too I far. I probably have. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure, um, this has been Jeez, Power man. Report. I, I have thoroughly offended everyone uh, listening and participating in this experience, which means I've done my job thoroughly well. Um, of course, thank you very much, Yasmin, for being on. Hopefully, this is not the last time, but people can find your podcast, Global Thread, pretty much wherever they listen to podcasts as well. You have social media. Uh, where can people find you on that? Uh, my Instagram handle is terrible. It's Y A five Z's Y A Z Z Z Z Z K. Yes, K. Um, that's me. <laughs> my Twitter is also terrible. Yazzy K Y A Z Z I E K. It's really bad for branding. I, I need I need like a sign when I come on these things. <laughs> but but yeah, that's my Instagram handle. Um, and yeah, the the podcast is a much easier name. Global Thread. And um, this Monday's episode, we're going to be talking more in detail about the energy crisis in Texas and not just that, but how this, you know, harkens back even to Enron days and, you know, all the deregulation and things like that, 
how we got to this point. I think it'll be a good episode. I'm excited to listen to your episode about Lujain in um, Saudi Arabia. I'm excited to listen to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that was that's an interesting one. It's a good one. If I do say so myself. Can I say that? <laughs> no, absolutely. This this sure. this is Plug Island over here. This is the part of the podcast where we're just absolutely shameless. No, um, but seriously, before we get into the true shamelessness that uh, Power Report fans know and love, uh, Yasmin's stuff that she's putting out is phenomenal and fantastic. She does appearances on front of the show, John Idarola's show, Damage Report. Um, really great on there. I absolutely love the work you're doing, especially with um, highlighting global Thank issues. You. And so we appreciate you being on the show uh before we round out before much. we round out caesar where can folks find you mr streamer guy hey yeah you guys can find me on twitch on we made it seas um uh all the handles are pretty much the same but other even my instagram uh just recently fixed that i'm not flexing i just fixed that recently okay <laughs> um so yeah you guys can find me on there i stream on monday fridays and the weekends come through let's have a good time um yeah, let me know if you're from Political Report, and you can uh, bash me for what I just said today. Yeah? I'm definitely gonna bash Caesar for misusing the branding. We we rebranded the show. Damn it, we worked on this, Caesar. <laughs> Power Report, not Political Report. The hell? Oh, no, no, oh, no, it's sorry. all good. Yeah, 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 you're here. good. I wasn't born here. <laughs> the number of times Hassan said that, it's triggering. Um, the, 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 so good. Also, all the links will be in the description of the video and the podcast with people going through these things. Um, bam, bam. Yeah, uh, we're doing the best uh, soccer podcast in the world. We made a podcast. Um, check that out on all and, podcast yeah, platforms. Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, and we do talk about politics and things on there at times when need be. We'll be having a Black History Month special soon, talking about the lack of black coaches. And um, yeah, check us out. And oh, in our free discussion society, we just had a really good one that Dan and Sean were there for. Caesar was not. Um, but we did have a really good Free Discussion Society this past week, and we'll be having one in March. We will probably be talking about healthcare. So mm. I'm going to be sure to publicize that to all the people who love Medicare for All and Jimmy Dore so we can have an excellent Free Discussion Society about that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it, it's a good space talking about politics and every, not even just political issues. Last one was just very just about like life. And so it's a really cool space for conversation um, to have that will continue to grow and flourish uh, as the times come. So freediscussionsociety.com for that. Sean, uh, let's see how good you are at audio face plugs. <laughs> all right. So you can find Dan and I at Audio Face Pod on uh, Instagram, YouTube, on Twitter, all that jazz for our podcasting um, stuff. So we like to do our music podcast, but everyone here knows that. So um, you could also go find clips that we're posting pretty much daily at youtube.com forward slash audio face pod um, to go see our mugs on camera and to laugh about um, uh, musical artists doing dumb shit. So there you go. Fail. I, I was literally about to say so proud of him. Um, we, we, it's, it's been a long time coming, about 176 episodes. Dan, Dan has traded me after years of just going, I don't know what to do for plugs. I don't do this. Go listen we're, to us. We had a solid 4.5 out of 10. Keep going, buddy. We're almost there. Yeah, I mean, slow, slowly but surely we'll be next. You know, we're going to have our own like merch and shit. No, so. Sean, Sean's, gra <laughs> just, Sean's graduated from the cattle prod. He's doing a really great job. This is really working out right now. Um, <laughs> I, He's just going to have a recording of, of, of Sean and just pop it in whenever it's time instead of Sean actually talking. <laughs> 
<laughs> pop him, hit him with the pre-record though. And of course, um, yes. I, what does it mean to play us out? I, um, who actually hate talking to myself, uh, can be found on Twitter at Dan from the web, Instagram at Dan from the internet. This is a show PowerPort that I do and I love very much, especially when I record the episodes. Audio Face, another show I do very much and um, enjoy very much as well. And uh, thank Dan, it's Friday. My Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash is on. It's on Fridays. It's cool. Check that out. I have fun guests and um, it's a good time. So yeah, thank you very much for listening to this episode, Power Report. Let's, let's, let's plug this show for once. Let's, let's, let's plug this show. Why not? Power Report World, Power Report WRLD on Twitter, Power Report World on Instagram, powerreport.world for all the links to subscribe um, on your favorite podcast apps. It's on youtube.com slash Dan from the internet for all the videos. And uh, yeah, we're going to have some cool guests on. We're going to have more panels like this in the future. That'll be really dope. So we appreciate you for watching, checking those out, and we'll talk to you soon. Stay safe out there. Canada! <laughs> I'm, I'm almost certain that's not Canada, man.